Welcome to Tech Uncensored. My name is Hesse Jones. And this week, we're talking Silicon Valley Bank. We're talking about its failure. We're talking about the social media storm that actually permeated the mainstream news cycle and a global banking sector. And this actually caused more of an amplified scrutiny as in banks, as, as Moody's. I don't know if people realized earlier this week, the U.S. credit rating industry agency actually downgraded the banking system to negative from what previously was deemed as stable. So we're talking about SVB, which is a 40-year-old banking institution, a six, the 16th largest bank in the U.S. It had $209 billion in assets, and they primarily provided their services to the tech industry. So this is the largest bank failure in the U.S. since 2008. This has been a whirlwind and the impacts have been felt here in Canada. So today we're going to discuss what happened, what are the implications to startups, their businesses, as well as the outlook from an economic perspective in the coming month. So is there going to be a silver lining in all of this? So I'm pleased to be joined by... Stephen Forrester, who is university professor at Western Ivy Business School, as well as Paul Barter, who is a strategist as well as an entrepreneur in residence here at Altitude Accelerator. And also Andrew Opala, who is our board member, as well as general partner of Preference Capital. So welcome everyone to this discussion. Good afternoon. So I'm going to start with Stephen. You are a finance professor, so you, you know this stuff really well. You wrote recently on your blog about the lessons that we need to learn from SBB failure prior to the run on the bank. So there are a number of missteps that the company had taken. Did this combination eventually lead to the run on the bank? Well, thanks, Hesse, for the opportunity to chat with you. I think we can look at two categories, things that SVB did and is responsible for, and then some things that are beyond their control. Let's start by focusing on SVP. And I think it's important to just start with the fundamental what a bank is and how a bank makes money. The traditional banking model is to take in deposits, pay X percent, and then lend out that money at Y percent. And hopefully Y is greater than X, and that's how they make their, their money. What was somewhat unique about SBB, as we know, is that it was truly a niche bank focusing on, on the startup community, which served an important area, but it had a customer base that was not diversified. And so eventually we'll see how that led to its downfall. But there were a lot of other factors as well. One was growth. I often uh, say, and Andrew actually is a, a former a former executive MBA student knows this well. I often say that growth is, growth is good. Growth is a good thing. But one has to be careful in terms of, in terms of how fast one, one, one grows. And so there are, there are some limits to that. What happened with SBB is between March 2020 and March 2022, its deposits ballooned from $60 billion to $200 billion. So startups, lots of flush with cash, and, and so they had excess money that they didn't need to deploy. Let's put it in, in SVB. So now SVB has a problem. They have more deposits coming in than loans that, that they can lend out. So now we're, we're 
sort of going counter to this traditional banking model that, that I talked about. And, and so the other problem was, what do you do in terms of some safe investments that will at least put your money to work in, in some sense? And at the time, treasuries, short-term treasuries were only paying about a quarter of percent. And so a decision was made to invest in, in long-term treasuries that were at the time yielding about 1.5%. So this isn't 2008 all over again. This is not risky investments. But here we have the classic mismatch between assets and liabilities. So what do you do in a case like that? Well, the normal thing to, to do is, well, either you don't take on that, that mismatch, or if you do, you want to manage it carefully. And so up until mid-2022, we did have some risk management hedging techniques in place, but, but they dramatically cut back on, on these. And what's also curious is that for, and this only recently came out, but for most of 2022, the firm was without a chief risk officer. So not a great position for the 16th largest bank in, in, in the U.S. What also SVB didn't consider is moving from this rapid growth stage to just the opposite. And, and this is where the startups needed money. Between March 2022 and December 22, there were substantial withdrawals. Nothing to do with SVB, just the nature of these startups. And $27 billion in deposits were withdrawn. So now we've got SBB painted into a corner. They're going to need some, some cash to balance that. So what are they going to have to do? Well. They're going to have to sell some of their some of their investments, these long-term treasuries. The other thing that is sort of a, a, as fundamental as a law of physics is that when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. And so we had an environment where interest rates were going up dramatically. And so there was a loss on selling $21 billion of these treasury, long-term treasuries, and the loss was $1.8 billion. Still not substantial, but it it's the markets because at the time then SBB announced that they had a plan to raise $2.25 in, in capital. Well, having a plan with, without executing on it, that's really what spooked depositors. And unlike the classic bank run that you might have seen in It's a Wonderful Life and, and, and in other places, this one was all just some simple texting on, on a phone and poof, B was no longer. So a lot of things that they could have done, done differently. Very briefly, external factors. We had some regulatory rollback. Don Franks, which was set up in 2011, to really keep a close eye on the financial institutions. The initial notion was that any, any financial institution in the U.S. that had more than $50 billion in assets would face increased scrutiny, have to put aside more capital and, and so on. But in 2018, that was loosened up and, and the threshold was increased from 50 billion to 250 billion. So SVB and, and others of its similar size were no longer under this, this regulatory microscope. And, and the final external factor that, that I alluded to before is, is the unintended consequence of the tightening of the, the, the Fed and increase in interest rates. And uh, this is a consequence. Perfect. Thank you so much for that background. It, I, I know there are a lot of moving parts from that perspective. And we can't say that Peter Thiel is the only one to blame for, for this mishap. Okay, I'm going to turn to Andrew because now we know that the, the U.S. government is going to protect 
depositors over and above that 250,000 threshold. So they're not only, it's not only for SVB, but any, they opened up lending windows to some of the banks that were also impacted by it. So startups on the whole are kind of breathing a sigh of relief if they've had deposits. But for the most part, if you were an investor in SVB, you lost. So what is the broader impact on the investor community? Especially as we know that a lot of some major, let's say VCs, um, even large startup companies, as well as accelerators, had put their money and assets into SVB. What is this influence within the VC sector as you see it? In general, like being from the startup side, being the guys that were pitching these PowerPoints and these keynotes and stuff to these investors in California. SVB was the one place that was kind of like the single source of truth in terms of your value. Like if they liked something, that was, that was a, a stamp of approval, right? So we, we, as companies went to them because they had a whole network. They had the investors, they had, they, they ran funds, they ran, they ran a, their own specialized fund. They had like a securities division. They had a bunch of things where they had just the best Rolodex for, Hey, I saw some interesting ideas and these people are getting traction. Would you like to meet them? Kind of introductions, which are gold. These are the best things you can have. That marketplace existed before SBB was around. It existed in smaller pieces. So SV Angel, Sequoia, Anderson Horowitz, they all did their part to do, to make a system like this, where there'd be lots of meetings. Like Y Combinator has, Y Combinator is probably the most active kind of a dating service in, in San Francisco. And they actually just let go 10, 10%, I think of the people on staff too. So this has to exist. So there's no way for startups to continue in a haphazard way of contacting people on LinkedIn or trying to find people on Twitter. So this has to exist. Number one, there will be a hole here. If this isn't, doesn't continue as to be, somebody will fill it. Somebody will fill it with either the same investors will, you know, put 10, 10 cents on the dollar they lost and they'll say, we're going to start SVB again. We're going to hire the staff or we'll buy the assets or whatever it is. It has to exist. This, what SVB did and the way it got into every meeting and the way that the brand, they developed the brand and the way they defended sort of the risk appetite of entrepreneur is very much, it hasn't gone away. And, and as Stephen underlined, it was kind of like they made some, some, I would say some large functional mistakes. But the actual underlying premise of why they existed didn't change and it still has value. So, so I think, I think in, in general, I don't know what's going to happen. The, the, our talk has been like, we were waiting for Monday's announcement that JP Morgan was going to buy them. That's was, that's what we were waiting for. And then we found out later that, that the CEO was told by his board, do not take any calls from the, from the treasury department. Like do not take any calls this weekend because they weren't happy with Washington Mutual and Bear Stearns. The government may continue to to manage this and leave it hands-free and let the, the operations team move it forward and keep to the style of, of what they've had before. Obviously they have to do some cuts and changes like everybody's doing right now, but it's a need. And, and the thing is that because it's a need and you have this ready-made kind of rooted sort of answer to that need, it does add a lot of value for a sale for SVB, but as a whole, and just a quick story. So we were, we were putting up um, our payments on Thursday. And some of our, we're, we don't work with SVB. We have uh, branches all over the world and SVB is very U.S. bank. So we don't uh, we have difficulty with their transactions, but we were, we were setting up some payments on, on Thursday to SVB contractors that we have or SVB people that banked at SVB and the, the transits were not going through. And so we just left it for Friday 
But then when we saw the news on Friday that it was sort of, the bank was sort of closed, we were like, well, what do we do? So we contacted them over email and we, we sent them PayPals at the, like an incredible rate on our side, but we just, we don't like not paying people. So we, we did it the best mm -hmm. we could. We have investments in a number of companies. My network has probably about 31 active investments right now. And so we quickly, we have a little bit of an email newsletter and we, we quickly just copied everybody's, Hey, what's going on? We got some ring rings from, from investees. We had Julia, who's not our, her real name, who's a, the CFO of a, of a company in Sacramento. She said that they were in a full panic mode the whole, the whole weekend. Then people started looking at the FTC announcements and things like that. And they realized that actually, if they, if the government is going to keep to what they're saying, nothing will happen. Like it's going to be fine. And she, Julia mentioned it on Monday. She goes, when I saw all the accounts there on Monday, like they had, they were, she was locked out of them when she logged in, but there was a little, little click, um, a link on the webpage that she could click on and they helped her get everything unlocked. She immediately was like, like, I was thinking that our company was dead on Friday and everything is fine. And she kind of said like, she feels like a child for believing that terrible story during the week. And she hopes it never changes from this. And then, then our group started looking at who's going to buy them. Right. So who's going to take the pieces or take the whole thing? Because that'll affect the, the story, this SVB type entrepreneur support network. If, if it's broken up, we have a sense that it's going to turn into a regular bank, the people putting money in. And then, the, then you get this thing where now it doesn't matter that you're in this bank because you're trying to get to the capital group or you're trying to get to the LP group. Right. So if you're in the bank and you have a good record and you're showing you some transactions and stuff, you can get into these. VC groups through the bank, where now, if you put that into a regular bank like JP Morgan, there's no reason to bank there. Like, why would you bank? There's really no, no difference in these accounts. So we're, we as a group are looking at if this exists going forward in the longer term fashion under government management, it may be the safest bank in America right now <laughs> for entrepreneurs anyway. So. Okay, so let's let's take a little bit of that, and and especially from the impacts on the U.S. side. Now, now let, let's look at home because we're starting to see ripple effects here. And I, I want to turn to Paul from your perspective because there was recently this week a group of Canadian tech community people. I think they they represented VC as well as private equity. They actually had an open letter to the Canadian government asked, saying that the the failure of SBBB, and I quote, the resulting collapse in investor confidence has created a crisis in liquidity for Canada's tech sector and well beyond SBB at precisely a time when you're extremely vulnerable. And so they wanted to argue that there is a systemic risk, but a lot of people have said it's not, that we cannot rely on the FDIC to ensure liquidity of the Canadian innovation economy. So partly for, like from what Andrew talked about, the impacts on some of the U.S. startups, the, the Canadian startups that have had account with, with SBB are saying that FDC, FDIC is not in a hurry to wire up money to Canada. So it goes beyond the deposits and, and not in also being able to, to actually cover many of their operations and expenses is now an impact that I would say has, has psychological effect on, on startups to do business. Is their bank safe? safe? Is, is there a better place to put my money 
am I, am I able to raise? How do you respond to that local impact from a startup perspective? I think those are there's several questions there. I would say that the quote that you just gave, access to capital in the innovation economy in Canada, not much has changed in the last in the last week. So we were competitively disadvantaged versus the U.S., certainly versus the Valley from the perspective of access to risk capital. In Canada, we're safer up here in our banks generally. And we're in, one of the reasons we're safer is we don't invest quite as much in risky new bets. And, and so I, I think we're still pretty safe up here. I, mean, I wouldn't be too concerned about the safety of, of assets for companies that have raised already. But, but I, I am concerned from a forward-looking perspective, access to capital in Canada and in the U.S. and around the world. If Silicon Valley Bank doesn't come out of this as roughly the similar player to, to what they are today. We are, my general perspective is lots of people talk about innovation, but innovation is risky, right? Like uh, there's a reason that, that a lion's share of the investments that venture capital funds make, right? So venture capital funds make their money on that small number, that one in 10 or whatever, small number of players that, that blow the markets away. And also Canada is a little bit behind the U.S. We're a little bit of a follower relative to making risky new bets on over the horizon, new crazy technologies, right? The, because there, a lot of those technologies are crazy until the day they take off. And when you get something like, you know, probably everybody on the call now has heard about ChatGPT. When you go from, from a technology that, that only the geeks are talking about to a technology that a million people are using a week later to a technology that, that a hundred million people are using a month later, it's not a crazy over the rise of technology anymore. Speaking of technologies, that's it. That's my watch weighing in on the conversation. So I think we still, it's, it's mitigated some of the issues it, it, or maybe kind of multiplied some of the issues that we had already here. I mean, we have been in a, a tech downturn. We saw the, the financial markets really hammer tech last year as we emerged from COVID and many big, many companies, big and small, saw the, the value of their, their equities plummet and, uh, and that trickled down, right? So if, if those companies, those the big companies see their stocks go down, then, then the likelihood of investors investing in risky high multiple startups uh, goes down as well. Right? So it's been a tough time and then there's definitely both because of SVB and because of yeah, things that happened before there's, it's definitely a more difficult time to raise funds in Canada to run the world right now. I think there's some mitigating things and I'll speak to that perhaps later. Okay. So I'm going to turn this to, to Stephen because like based on what Paul has said, we have tons of innovation in Canada. And what some of the reasons why a lot of startups go to the U.S. for support, for, for funding, is because of the fact that we have a very risky, risk-averse environment in Canada. And uh, so... You know, when we're talking about innovation, we need to be able to keep our startups here in Canada. We need to be able to support them in many ways. And SVB, there isn't a bank like that in Canada. And they, they're not necessarily as friendly to startups because our overall, I guess, conservatism in Canada is, is much more heightened than it is in the U.S. So what do you say? What do you say about with the events in the last week and what that means in terms of Canada. But thanks, Paul. And it's hilarious. And uh, what, what should banks be doing differently, at least the Canadian banking system? 
Yeah, so so I think those are great points, and and I think absolutely the Canadian banks need to step up their game rather than have the majority of Canadian tech companies relying on on some kind of U.S. form of, of, of funding. So I think there's an opportunity for the Canadian banks. But I want to go back to what what Andrew said because I think there's a big caveat as well. It is that it's not as simple as Canadian banks saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll provide line of credit or, or whatever it might be. It, it's trying to recreate this magic um, SVB that took four decades for them to create and to be more than just a, a lender, but to provide networking opportunities and, and the Rolodex and, and all of these things. And so that's going to be a tough model for any Canadian bank to try to replicate. Thank you. Does anybody have any other comments on that and w- whether or not we can, we can, we can improve so, it? Yeah. So, so we're looking at, we're looking at us versus the U S and U S is probably the biggest shoot from the hip Western style, invest in anything, cut the deck from my, I'll play from other side kind of group, but they, they are happy to risk it on people. We are comparing ourselves to them and we, we are terrible and we're touching our chest. It's our fault and everything is terrible, but we are probably number two in the world in risk appetite. So I would not be so down. It's like European markets are incredibly difficult, like Nigerian markets, Indian markets. We have so many people coming here to get a, a visa, a startup visa and get investment here because they cannot do things there without having owning a home or having their, a rich relative that can finance something. Like we have a good appetite for risk. It's not as good as obviously the U.S. is. I think we can work on a few things in that case. Like BDC has been turned into a better bank because SVB has been working in our space. They've added balloon payments. They've added no interest, hold offs on payments. They've they've added the the 2 to 12% additional rate for how crappy your business is. I mean, they've added a lot of things that they only added because SVB was competing for their, their business. So... If they could manage, and SVB is a very conservative lending organization, there's other smaller groups, like there's, there's Lending Loop, there's ClearBank, HSBC has an e, e-branch kind of thing for startups. There's, the people are moving into the space, and maybe if they get the urge, they'll, they'll take on a little bit of risk and they'll, they'll improve Canadian risk appetite. We also have a very strong and almost detrimental securities group in Ontario that will not let anything happen because it's not a, you're not a credit investor or like you don't have a financial degree or something. And this limits also our abilities. I mean, in the U.S., they have wide open crowdfunding. They have, anybody can invest in anything almost. You're, you as a investee, as a company, have to do some due diligence and, and protect the people investing, and give them all the information they need. But, but in Canada, we still have, I would say, some of the leftovers of all the other failures that we had in, in the UK and in Europe and the South Sea bubble. And like, there's, there's still some sort of like genetic memory of these things and we're being cautious. Right. So I, I don't want to dump entirely on us, but it's true compared to the U S we're not that good. So there are some, some things we could probably add. Even spoke a little bit at the beginning about some class comments. So he has risk is rotten, growth is good and everything's about the future. And I think there are many times when growth is not necessarily linked to more risk and that very often more risk is sometimes not linked to growth. And I think if we can find a lending market, it could probably with enough information, find good risks that are growthful for us. And we can, we can improve there. I think it's, it just needs some dedicated minds and 
I think it will improve in this case, but, but not to the level of the U.S. for sure. Okay. Thank you. So I'll, I'll turn to Paul because not, not to divert from the events of this week, but maybe yes to divert from the events of this week. There is a silver lining in, in, in what has happened. What should startups start to, to look towards? Like, what can they bank on these days? Give them the circumstances. Yeah. So startups are risky by definition, right? This is different than going and getting a job at a bank or for the government or getting a pension and, and settling in, right? You're kind of like a bond if you do that. And startups are like stocks, right? They're riskier from that perspective. And, and that's part of the, part of the wave. Innovation goes in waves. And in fact, I think McKinsey talks about their, their three horizons. They talk about the, the current horizon technologies that are kind of at their peak and, and, and companies that do innovation against those technologies, but perhaps that's beginning to decline. The second horizon is technologies and markets that are kind of on the rise and are, are going to be kind of the next big thing. And then the third horizon is, is things that are still a little bit farther out, but, uh, but maybe in a decade might come to fruition. Right? If we think back to what we broadly tech is a whole bunch of things. Right. It's a, we use that term as kind of a fine definition. Some of my mentors like the idea of science-based innovation. We define tech more, more specifically as information and communication technologies. And, and that wave, the internet wave is 22, 23, 24 years old now. Right. And that's, that's permeated through the economy. And we've seen the rise of the biggest companies in the world, most of which were formed in the last on the dot-com crash, dot-com bubble crash, or in the global economic downturn. Those are the trillion dollar companies that are out there today, right? But there are those net waves. So I was saying before the call that, that when we look back at this week in a decade or 20 years and ask ourselves, what, what's the biggest thing that happened this week? It's probably not going to be the, the crash of Silicon Valley Bank. It's going to be the, the rise of machine learning. There's been literally a dozen new announcements this week of companies that brought, have brought them multi hundred billion dollar type opportunities. There's a ton of capital that's been raised by companies, probably no one on the call now that hasn't played with chat GPT, their, their, their next generation just hit market. Google launched some things, Facebook launched some things, a bunch of newly funded companies launched some things. Um, that's going to be the next 20 year wave, uh, just like the internet was that we're going to see that permeate the economy. And then beyond that, there are things that are going to come in this third horizon that are going to target healthcare and, and some other areas. So there's lots of other opportunities in the short term, cash is king. So it's a, if you've got cash, as I'm sure Steve would tell you, uh, marshal it, use it effectively. Those that have cash are going to go out and, and look at the assets of, of those that don't have cash now. And so it's an interesting time to to go look at for resources or intellectual property or capabilities that you don't have in-house. Also employment, right? There's a lot of people that are on the street, solid tech workers that are on the street, not so much because of Silicon Valley Bank, but because of things that have happened in the previous year to, you know, if you really want to hire great developers, they're not going to cost what they cost, the outlandish costs that they, they would have been in the middle of 2011, 2021, that kind of thing. So. There's people available. There's new trends that are going to avail that are going to create the next trillion dollar companies. There's, are we at a bottom? I don't know, but we're near a bottom and the companies that accelerate out of this downturn 
are going to be the ones that we're all going to be getting together in 20 years and saying, I wish I'd invested in them. Thank you for that. Okay, Stephen, I'm going to turn to you. I, we have a couple of minutes left, so I want to address this to you as well as to Andrew. From a financial standpoint, what lessons should startups actually take away from this to better control their assets and mitigate their own financial risk? I would say two things. There, there's that old saying that the best time to get a bank loan is when you don't need one. And, and so I think for startups, be prepared for that rainy day access capital when when you can, including getting a line of credit. The other thing I think is that pay attention to cash management. I don't think that was on a lot of startups' radar. The incredible thing that came out, the news story to me, was that the publicly traded company, Roku Incorporated, that makes streaming devices, had over $487 million in uninsured money at SVB. So cash management, pay attention to it. Thank you so much. Andrew, I'm going to give you the last word. What, what's your advice as a VC as well as a startup guy? So find your friends. We've already extended, we were planning to extend some loans to some of our investees, but it turns out it was, it was not necessary. Um, Find friends, don't spend, as everyone has been saying. There's an, there is money everywhere. Link yourself to a growing market, as, as Paul mentioned, and you'll convince somebody of your value. So I think, I think there's hope. It's going to be hard work, like always. Don't read the, the winners that are in TechCrunch, because those are just outliers. It's hard work, and you got to do it, but you can do it. So, so good luck. Perfect. Thank you so much. So I think that's it for today. And I want to thank my guests for joining me to break down a lot of the harrowing events that actually happened in the last week. If you in our audience have any questions or concerns about SBB, what it means for your business, we are opening up our channel. So you can email us at communications at altitudeaccelerator.ch and we'll schedule some time to meet with you through our advisors as well as our EIRs. So please, uh, please send us your, your comments or emails. That's it for this week. For Tech Uncensored. By the way, we are on podcasts. So anywhere you could get your podcast, you will find us. My name is Tessie Jones. Until next week, have fun and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. Tech Uncensored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemax. For more tech and censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.